Welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. I'm Priscilla McKinney, the Mama Bird, and your host of this uh, wonderful podcast. I have a great friend with me today, someone that I really love shooting the breeze with at different conferences, and I'm so excited that COVID could possibly be in our rearview mirror because, Lee, I want to see you more and more in 2022. So, Lee Caldwell, welcome to Ponderings from the Perch. Uh, thanks so much, Priscilla. Yeah, that would be amazing if we can actually, I can come to a, an Insights Marketing Day in uh, Chicago or wherever it's going to be. And uh, or I'm sure we'll we'll have a few more conferences to bump into each other at. A hundred percent. The only thing I'm going to just admit right now is that every time I talk with you, I'm not saying I feel dumb. It's just that I like it, it resoundingly walking you know, walk away thinking, Lee is really smart. <laughs> Well, that's very kind. I will. I'll try not to uh, try not to be too scientific today, and okay. <laughs> uh, make sure that uh, everyone can understand what we're talking about. Okay. Well, you do get voted, you know, best hair in market research. Well, so. thank you. I mean, yours isn't bad either. So okay. uh, we'll uh, we'll see where next year's ranking. Okay. Well, now we've actually established all the important things. Let's actually talk <laughs> about market research. Lee Caldwell is a mathematician. He's an economist. He works on cognitive and behavioral theories, and he applies them to the world of economic decisions, pricing, and marketing. So you can see where this is going, right? How do we actually figure out how to price things correctly, how to actually come to market in the right way? Well, he is the co-founder and partner at the Irrational Agency, and they are narrative discovery experts. They are working in the field of behavioral science, and he has a lot to offer here. They really blend different techniques, system three methodologies, market research technology, and uncover those really, really important non-conscious stories that is actually driving consumer behavior. I could talk about this stuff with Lee forever, um, but I will say there's a golden oldie here. He has a great book back from 2012, but it is still highly relevant. It's called The Psychology of Price. If you haven't checked it out before, make sure that you do. But we're going to talk about some really interesting niche ideas inside of behavioral science today. So Lee, I mean, are you are you ready to be grilled? I, I am. I uh, I cannot wait to be to be quizzed. I was uh, I actually was on a podcast uh, a few weeks ago where I was uh, from a from a uh, psychologist uh, who was really quizzing me on uh, really challenging me on the the theoretical background behind some of my ideas. So quite looking forward to getting the the fists out and uh, defending myself. Okay. I love it. I love it. Well, let's start with something that you and I really like to talk about. This is where you and I can be seen normally with a glass of wine in the uh, corner of a conference uh, chatting about really what is meant by narrative research and why you are so um, bent on making sure that people understand this value. So for people who maybe haven't heard, um, I hate to use it, but buzzword, you know how I am on Ponderings in the Perch. I like to pull the curtain back and say, let's let's not talk things and, and not be sure what we're talking about. Let's start there. What is narrative research? Okay, so we have all in the last few years, we've all heard um, about storytelling as uh, you know, it, it, it's one of these buzzwords that has become um, really important for people to communicate their insights to their stakeholders. So it's all, uh, you, know, you know, there's been a storytelling masterclass you can take. There's been uh, summits on storytelling and everybody has, uh, you know, had a storytelling guide of, you know, how to write their debrief using the, the principles of, uh, of story. What we realized, though, is that there's another 
source of stories that is really important. And that is the stories told by the people that we communicate with, by our consumers, by our citizens, by the, the people that we want to hear from in our market. And so there's a, this whole idea of not storytelling, but story hearing um, is what sits behind narrative research. If you can get people to open up to tell you their stories, then they're going to reveal much more than if you just start, you know, ask them uh, a set of rating questions in a survey, uh, or even if you, uh, even more than if you are having a conversation with them in a, in a focus group or a, in an interview, getting them to tell stories just allows people to be much more truthful, to reveal things that would be otherwise difficult to access. And um, so there's there's been a, a tradition in some aspects of uh, the humanities and social science uh, in uh, in the, the academic world of using narrative research to, to listen to people and really hear unheard uh, messages and ideas. But we've also we've now taken that into the quantitative research world. So we can um, we can hear stories, we can gather typically say around you know 12,000 stories from a group of uh, consumers. And then we can analyze those, analyze the structure of those stories, see what it tells us about how people use products, how they relate to brands. And uh, by by doing that quantitative analysis, we can discover a whole new dimension of um, the, the the meanings that people have in in their lives, the meanings they put on brands, the meanings they put on the the categories and products that uh, that they buy. Well, as you know, I come from the cultural anthropological side, so I'm already interested in that really highly qualitative look at what people are doing. And, you know, I have this like special space space in my heart for ethnography, but what you're really saying is interesting to me. And this is why you and I keep this conversation going so deeply is that what you're really looking at is how do we get a qualitative understanding of what's going on with the consumer, but at the speed and at the scale of quant. And I want to get into that a little bit more, but I want to unpack just narrative research a tiny bit more before we move mm. on to that. Yeah. So tell me, like, when you think about that narrative research and people are telling these stories to each other, to themselves, <laughs> even we yep. all tell ourselves very interesting stories as we're about purchasing things. Um, what is this science of narrative research mm. based on? Yeah. So the science is based on, uh, there, there's a whole range of um, different research going on in neuroscience, in cognitive science, in psychology. And part of it is based on the idea of uh, the predictive brain. So this is, uh, if you look up the predictive brain, you'll find uh, a couple of interesting TED Talks about it. Uh, this is the idea that the brain is at, um, trying to forecast what's going to happen next. So it's always, the brain is unconsciously telling itself a little story of what do I expect to encounter? What's going to be the next event that I see? Or uh, if I do, if I take this action, what will be the result? Will I enjoy, you know, eating this piece of chocolate or, or not? And <clears throat> the brain continually compares its prediction, the little story it told, to the reality. And it's automatically adjusting its model of the world, its picture of the world, by continually uh, doing that little test, that little experiment on the world of, uh, I predict something, I take the action, I find out if my prediction was right. So that whole world of neuroscience, which is uh, based on, it's related to how we learn, uh, it's related to how we how we make decisions, is, uh, is, is part of the foundation of narrative research. The, the other dimension is in cognitive science, uh, the idea that we move through the world uh, looking for uh, causality. 
So this is in a way that people, one of the, the ways to say this is we're all uh, kind of, we're all many scientists. Scientists are always looking for the cause and effect relations in the world. You know, if I if I drop the apple, it's going to fall to the ground. That's the, you know, Isaac Newton uh, discovering gravity. Uh, the We all look for these causal links. If I do X, then Y will happen. And that by finding those, we get more control over li- our lives. We get to find the things that are rewarding that we can do. Um, and from a brand's point of view, you want to know, um, if I do X, then my consumers will react according to Y. And causality and the idea that people build in their heads uh, these what's called a, a causal model of the world uh, actually sits behind stories. Um, every story that we tell, uh, you'll see it in the, the fairy tales that you learned as a kid. You see it in novels you read. You see it in films. Every story has a sequence of cause and effect steps. Uh, X happens and therefore Y happens. Because of Y, therefore Z happens. And every event in the story is the inevitable, well, inevitable with hindsight, consequence of the previous step. So a story is a way of reflecting a whole chain of cause and effect relationships. Uh, And this uh, neuroscience and this cognitive science work is what tells us that that is fundamental to how we see and interact with the world. So stories are such a great way of revealing um, those hidden causal uh, models and networks and webs that sit uh, inside our brains. I like what you said, networks and webs, but let's just say here. So these, as we look at consumers in market research, or as we like to refer to them also as humans, (laughs) or in your case, freelance scientists, Yeah. (laughs) right? Um, So as they're going about this, I do like that idea you mentioned about webs and networks, because really what you know is that as humans, we are layering and layering and layering all kinds of stories that we've had, all kinds of cause and effect, all kinds of narratives that we've learned to say to ourselves in certain instances. And because this is a very important podcast, we will just go ahead and, you know, like make it known. Yes, the cause and effect, if you eat that chocolate, you will be happy with it. (laughs) Like like there's no other outcome. You get the best advice on, uh, on on this podcast. You heard it here, right? But I love where you start with that because it's something we can understand. But when brands are trying to extrapolate and understand much more complicated, if we do this, then what will happen? What is going on in that consumer, that human, that freelance scientist's head at that time that they see our product or served up an idea about our service? What is that inner narrative? How oh. are those stories layered? How are they picking apart what they believe is almost like a choose your own adventure? Like, what is going to happen next? Will I buy this? Because I want to know, do I want to turn this page or do I not? Yeah. So, you know, I love that idea about it being layers. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, we have uh, throughout our entire lives, we've been learning stories. We've been learning the different cause and effect uh, relationships in the world. And as you say, they're, they're piled on top of each other. You have very fundamental ones uh, that we learn as, as babies, uh, which, you know, of which the chocolate may well be one, depending on how, how soon you were allowed chocolate as a kid. Um, the, uh, or, or even just uh, very basic things to do with the human relationships we have as, as very young children and the feelings of safety that we get from being protected or from having our, uh, you know, our families around us. Those very um, deep layers of 
the story then are supplemented as we get older by, uh, you know, we have we have more uh, experiences in life. We have uh, more abstract uh, things that we learn. We have more um, more complicated processes to go through. You know, we learn to drive a car, and there's a cause and effect there. Of you know, you push the pedal, and this happens. You uh, hit the indicator light, and this happens. Um, and uh, and then as we run those little scientific experiments, we go into the store, we buy a pack of chips or we uh, buy a can of soda or we uh, buy a, a new uh, oven and we find out the consequence of that purchase. You know, you do your experiment. Yes, I do like this flavor of potato chips. And no, I don't like this soda. Uh, and, and your brain adds another layer of uh, belief and story on top. So when you then go into the store the next time, your brain has this incredibly efficient filtering power. It summons up uh, all of the stories right from the very basic, well, I need some sugar to survive, uh, right through to uh, I saw the advertising campaign for this brand and it had this uh, person who is really aspirational or it made me feel this certain way and that makes me feel good or bad about this brand. And uh, I uh, and also I'm predicting the uh, story of the, you know, I'm going to bring this soda home to my kids uh, this evening. And will they like it? Will they like it a bit too much? Do I, will I let them have it or not? So <laughs> all of those layers are, are interacting and um, you need to, uh, we, we do need powerful quantitative tools to be able to say, uh, well, how do they all uh, layer on top of each other when they compete, which one's going to win and uh, how can we then, analyze that data and make predictions about the right way to uh, present our products, to communicate about them, to price them uh, in order to tap into uh, the, the stories that we can see consumers and hear consumers uh, experiencing when they see those products. Well, I love what you said there about conflicting stories. So hmm. let's let's unpack that for a minute, because this is true. I want to save the environment, but I also need my dollar to go further or a pound in your case. So, so these are conflicting desires and I have conflicting consequences and I have conflicting um, predictions in my own head about what will happen. I have conflicting narratives about who's really responsible in this moment, right? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about why narrative research is so important in these kinds of moments when mm. we find ourselves at these crossroads of conflicts in our own narratives. Yeah. Well, what is it that makes a narrative or a story interesting, it's conflict. Uh, you know, anyone who's written a uh, written a, a story, who's read a story, who's watched a film, you know that the key moments uh, are the moments of conflict, where either it's conflict between two different protagonists, two different characters, or often it's the internal conflict where, uh, you know, Hamlet's to be or not to be, the, the, the decision that is being made there is is the heart of the story. That's what compels us to want to to engage and to watch and see what happens. And the the events of a story are in fact the playing out of that conflict, where uh, the the two forces are arrayed against each other. They you know each one gets the upper hand. They are compared. They they negotiate. They they argue with each other, and ultimately one uh, usually wins out. And in in the cases you're talking about, you imagine. Um, it's uh, it's uh, taking a, a flight. We know the impact, we know the carbon impact of taking flights. We know that that is something that uh, is problematic, but many of us have not seen our family members for 
much of the last two years. And so your love for your family, your desire to see them, uh, the, the emotions that you have are conflicting with the, your desire to protect the future of the planet for, for that same family, potentially. Um, and that is, that's really a classic struggle. Um, and, and the way that you can see it play out on the movie screen, uh, is just the way that we can see it play out inside consumers' heads. And so getting into observe those stories, see, uh, the conflicts and, uh, ultimately be able to make some measurements and see actually for 70% of people, this protagonist in the story is going to win. And for 30%, the other one is going to win. Or for maybe there's a, you know, 10% where it's kind of a tie and they don't make any decision at all. Um, this is, uh, where you can go beyond just the qualitative understanding that that story exists into uh, a measurement and say, you know, here is the, uh, both here's here's who's going to win, but actually also here's how we can tip the scales. So if you are the chocolate company and your um, your consumers are having that battle between, uh, do I have the chocolate or the donuts? Do I have the chocolate or no chocolate? Do I go to the gym and then I can have two bars of chocolate? Uh, you can decide. You can tip the scales into whichever one of those outcomes is uh, is right for you, as long as of course uh, you still find a way to make sure that it is in your uh, customer's interest as well. Oh, I love that. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, something you alluded to, which is nudging, right? Oh. Um, and and what we can do uh, as a brand. But I do want to just tell you how much I love your story about conflict being in story. And I just think about the button from the movie Truman Show. How will it all mm. end? <laughs> you know, everybody's tuning in, but that is interesting to think about ourselves uh, in our own lives. Are we tuned into the stories because we're telling stories constantly. And, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about how funny it is that some people say, oh, ads don't work on me. And I'm thinking you're the one that works on the most (laughs) because let me assure you, ads work on me a lot. And I've joked around with people a lot to, you know, if you put orange on packaging, I'm probably going to buy it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm pretty awake and alive to my own stories and my own, you know, things I've tested. And even to the point where you, even if you do become conscious of some of those stories that were previously non-conscious stories that you told yourself, you still can't help but be in the story. You yeah, still have yeah. to see how it plays out, how it will. You do. Yeah, because because you you don't necessarily know who's going to win that battle within your own mind, and uh, you could be just as uh, as excited to find out as, uh, as as you would be watching you know Game of Thrones on, on TV. Um, being aware of our own stories is actually a very powerful um, tool. is is a powerful place to be in life, and uh, ultimately. If you can uh, gain more knowledge of the stories you tell yourself and gain the ability to rewrite those stories in the way that empowers you and that uh, is going to give you the best experience of life, then you will, you, you're you going to have a happier life. And uh, I feel like um, narrative research does have a place to go in not just where it's now used, which is mainly you know uncovering these stories for brands, but putting that power into the hands of individual people to say, you know what, I, I'm telling myself a certain story that might not be empowering for me, and uh, I, I would like to change it. Or I would like to lean into that and say, you know what, I really just love orange, and I don't need a 
reason. I'm just going to be a person who has uh, has told a happy ending to her orange story, and uh, uh, and 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 I'll enjoy that happy ending. So there is, uh, I, I think, there, I think there's some great opportunities in the future for this work to go uh, into directly into the hands of of people, uh, and I, I'd love to be thinking about that as the uh, as um, we take the brand research work further that we do at the moment. I have to tell you, Lee, I wasn't planning on talking about this today, but you said something to this effect to me about six months ago, Mm. and you talked about how the work that you do in narrative research really also helps the consumer, the human, that freelance scientist, really live their best life. And I thought, what? Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) I thought we were talking about market research. And all of a sudden, it was this greater purpose to what you were doing. And I have to tell you, I, I never mentioned to you before, but that shocked me like crazy. Oh. And I thought about it and thought about it. And I had never had someone in market research really come back to me and say, and I believe that the way that we work with respondents slash humans slash, you know, however we want to talk to them about refer to them consumers, um, you know, that I'm actually here to serve them. And I want them to carve out a life that is more in alignment with their values, that is more in alignment with uh, a conscious, you know, choice that they're making. I have never heard that before. In a way, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have brought that perspective. I, I do feel like the, I, I think our industry does have good intentions. Our industry does um, value the fact that. Uh, we are, you know, uh, collectively, we are all bringing uh, a better understanding of consumers, uh, of people to our clients. We are all helping clients to, you know, pr- make products that will hopefully make consumers happier. Uh, but uh, yeah, maybe I, I, I just felt like um, this. There is something quite fundamental, I think, about about this work, about the the, the neuroscience and the psychology that sits behind it, and. You know, psychology has always been used not just to, you know, manipulate people in groups or to market to them, but also to help people have a a more empowering life and to understand themselves better. So I would absolutely uh, love if that is an outcome of uh, the work that, that we do. And I think the, the idea to uh, let people tell the story of their life that they want and then live that story is uh, is a really inspiring one. Mm, gosh, I love that. I did not see us going there, but I love that. <laughs> I want to touch just real quick a little bit on that qual and quant and uh, versus mm-hmm. narrative um, type of thing before we kind of talk about, okay, what's the applications and, and you know, people are saying, okay, great, but when do I use this kind of thing? So we'll get practical here in a minute. But one last question to ask you, you know, obviously narrative research is, uh, you know, you, you see the depth of it. You see the beauty of it. You see the multi-layers to it and the reason why you would stay there um and obviously it is qual and it is quant it's not either or which i think is another yeah. place where you and i agree that there's no more black and white we need to mix these methodologies and understand what 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 can what of all of these tools can we can we bring to bear that is going to you know bring about the most clear uh next step for the particular challenge that the brand is facing right and in this yeah. case the consumer is facing so I just am curious to hear from you. What do you think would be missing, you know, if you just went qual or just went quant or like, you know, kind of make a build, build one succinct case for that. Why narrative research is helping you discover much deeper things than just qual or quant alone. 
Yeah. Probably because it's it allows you to integrate and get the best of both. Um, I'm, I'm sure that everyone here who's done uh, a qualitative interview, a depth interview, will have had the experience of someone sharing a story with them that they thought, wow, I've learned something. I, I'd never have known that. I'd never have thought of that. And they've been able to take that story as inspiration for uh, maybe a hypothesis that they can bring uh, to, to a marketer. Um, but very often, uh, people who hear those stories, understandably, uh, on, the, on the stakeholder side, um, may say, well, fine, but that's just one person or that's just three people. Um, can you show that this is actually happening throughout the market, throughout my customer base? Is this important enough uh, for me to change my product design, change my pricing, change my, my marketing? And, and for many companies, quant is the, the only way that, that will, they'll be able to make that case. So being able to scale up is really important. But equally, if you start from just traditional quantitative research, then because of how it's designed, because of the need to simplify, the need to be able to present bar charts and have simple numbers on things, then the, uh, the way the questions are traditionally asked is, is too simple. Uh, you know, asking people, uh, will you... So the environment, as you mentioned, is a great example. We've been doing some research on sustainability recently. Uh, and the classic questions in these sustainability surveys are, one, um, do you agree that it's important to um, take actions to improve the environment? Um, and, and maybe you, you know, you've got a one to five scale. Um, have you taken any actions to improve the environment and then you have a yes or no or maybe you have another one to five skill and you know these are it has the the benefit of simplifying but it has the the downside of simplifying and uh, <laughs> that's not a quant that's not a quantitative question that is a qualitative yeah. answer that yeah. we need right? yeah yeah so because it, you know it's how have you uh what action have you taken how do you think the environment needs to improve why is it important and so it's um it it's crucial to be able to get beyond just those surface answers and into the why that sits behind it. Um, and, and this is actually, this is what some of our clients have said to us about this research. We, we know the what, uh, but we need to know the why. We need to know what are the reasons that lead to people uh, not recycling their potato chip packets or uh, what are the reasons that people are not buying this uh, product that we know would improve their lives but they're they're not buying it and um, the other is to look at what's the the meaning behind words so people will say for instance if you uh, a very common theme in retail shopper research is value everyone says they want value but what does value mean um, and value for some people means a cheaper price for some people it means a bigger pack for some people it means better quality for others it means lots of different things um, value is ultimately comes from a kind of emotional place and what does value mean uh, is something that you you definitely want to know on a quantitative scale you definitely want to be able to say let me segment my market let me look at the uh the different uh segments and personas and uh in a, a way that i can say this is statistically significant but you also want to know um the the meaning of value to them or the meaning of quality or the meaning of these words that they will recite because otherwise you can't interpret and you can't act on them so there are a number of gaps that are left by these traditional approaches and uh, we see narrative researchers being a, a way to fill a lot of those research gaps and answer the questions in a way that you can you can act on. 
I can see how brands would look to it for some nagging questions, things they just have not been able to answer through qual or quants alone. And I can see that, you know, I can imagine them coming into the boardroom being like, oh my gosh, this nugget again, seriously. Like we still don't know the answer to this, but it's because some of these other methodologies don't really quite get you there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And just, I mean, just to give another example, we worked with a uh, healthcare company on a product to do with uh, male sexual health. And if you can imagine There's a lot of shame that can be attached um, with some of these. I I won't go into the details, but you can imagine the problems that men might have um, and the reluctance they might have to talk about it or the the barriers or the the facades they might put up to to try and deal with that or pretend it's not happening or to, um, to avoid thinking about it or... And, and there's this, there is a narrative of shame, a narrative of disempowerment. And by helping people, those people to open up. Uh, and in fact, in this case, we did a qualitative stage and a quantitative stage and we pulled out the stories and narratives in both. Um, it allowed the, the client to really understand their customers so much better to really empathize with them and to be able to, to say, okay, I, I could really hear that story resonating in my mind. And now I know that 30% of our potential customers, the the men that we could be helping with this product, are avoiding it because of of this particular narrative. And uh, it it really uh, revealed uh, a new way for them to see and relate to their customers and to turn a new way to open up um, that solution to those customers so they would not be disempowered by those those narratives anymore. Oh my gosh. I cannot believe you just brought that that example up because as you were talking earlier, I thought about my very first job out of college. I worked on a grant from the American Foundations for AIDS Research, and I was doing a mirror study of something that had happened in Puerto Rico, and they wanted to see it actually mirrored in the LA basin um, in California with Hispanic women. And it was about like where what's the difference of the Hispanic women in the Puerto Rican, you know, market and then in um a newly immigrated market. So I was doing IDIs mm-hmm. <laughs> in um in a uh, free health clinic. And I was talking to women and it was, it was sponsored. This particular piece of the, the grant was sponsored by a, um, a creator of the female condom. And oh. they were talking about what are the, we need to know what the narratives are around what women are telling. Are they able, because it, 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 you talked about like value, what does value mean? <laughs> you know, is value a price right now? Or is a value, I value my life in terms of, you know, contracting AIDS, or do I value, you know, actually being able to grow my family the way I want? Do I yep. value my relationship that I have? You know, you think about a different family system where maybe I don't feel empowered to be able to take charge of my own reproductive health. Can I do that quietly, silently, you know, uh, even within an intimate relationship? Very interesting. But these are the kinds of things that only narrative can get to, but you, it can't be one person's story. It has to be at a scale to understand what are the kinds of things that women are talking about when they really don't want to talk, (laughs) you know, and what are those stories that even they don't share amongst themselves? Mm. So it's not like you can go to this 
quantitative, you know, go to immediately to scale. You have to go to quantitative, qualitative. You have to hear those, hear those stories and kind of coming back to your point about story listening, story mm. hearing is really key in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's a perfect example. And, and the, the, the phrase that we sometimes use to encapsulate this is, is, is hear the hidden story. There are stories that are hidden uh, either because there are some groups of people who are often not listened to or often don't have the, uh, the same visibility or prominence in society. There are some stories that are hidden because we hide them as individuals that can be narratives of shame. It can be to do with uh, the, the social image you want to present or, or you know, simply about, about the fear of discussing certain things in front of a, an authority figure. And uh, there, there are many reasons that uh, stories are not heard. And uh, I, I see this, this, the whole mission here as being to, to hear those hidden stories and then allow uh, us as a society to do the right thing with those stories. Mm, I love that. I love that. This has been super amazing conversation, Lee, as always. The only bummer was that we didn't have a cocktail in our hand while we were having this conversation. <laughs> but just as a really deep thank you for coming on and spending your time sharing your expertise so freely, I just want to give you a minute to tell me about who should be working with Irrational Agency. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I mean, really, we want to speak to anyone who wants to hear stories, hear more stories. You know, we, we know that people are telling stories uh, that aren't being uncovered, that aren't being heard by traditional research. And those stories are about who the, the people are, about what they want, uh, and, and how they see the future that they're going to live into. So anyone who, uh, if you're a brand uh, or you're, you're a company that wants to hear those stories and be able to interact with people, in a, a more meaningful way, then um, we're uh, you know we're here to to provide uh, the behavioral insights, to provide the data, um, to use those narrative research tools to help capture uh, the stories of those people and make those visible to you and make those uh, and distill them into uh, a message that you can actually use. And uh, we, uh, as you mentioned, we've got our, a qualitative approach that is essentially like a, a, a therapeutic interview. And then we have our quantitative tools. System three is one that, that you mentioned. That's our tool for um, modeling and, and uncovering the specific elements in those narratives. Um, system three, you will, well, uh, another time we'll talk about system one, two, and three. That's the, uh, you all know system one and two, but three is really the, where the imagination lives. And then um, we have, uh, you know, we have tools for doing some of that measurement, like the behavioral conjoint is something we use for finding out who wins in that conflict you talked about. You know, if you're, if you have that fight between sustainability and uh, immediate uh, gratification, who's going to win and how can you tailor your products to, to make sure that your product is the one that wins. So these are some of the, the ways that we apply this narrative research in our, in our day-to-day work. So um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, of course, would love to hear from anyone who's, who's interested in talking more about that. Mm, I love that. I love that. And, you know, for those people who, are new to the idea of behavioral science, or maybe really just new to the idea of narrative research as it relates to <laughs> behavioral science, um, where, where would you suggest they start? I, I know that you, you're, you're a great writer, you're a prolific writer, you got a, a great blog there, but 
where do people even just go, okay, let me, let me wrap my brain around this. Mm. I would say, well, there's, there's a couple of um, conference talks that I've given and that other people have given about narrative. So if you search for uh, my name and look for uh, an SMR conference I did recently, uh, or a um, look for the uh, MRS conference, if you're a member of the MRS. Um, and, but we also have a, uh, guide uh, on our website to behavioral market research that uh, you can download. So if anyone uh, would like to find out more from that, just uh, hop on to irrationalagency.com and uh, you can uh, fill in your details and, and we'll send uh, a copy of that over to you. Um, but of course, we're always happy to uh, to have a chat about the particular stories or narratives that might be there for the people that you work with and, uh, and how we could best uncover those. That's awesome. Well, I'll put both of those, I'll get those links from you and put both of those in the show notes. So if you want to reach out to those really quickly, I'll also put a link over to Lee Caldwell on his LinkedIn page. So make sure you check him out there. He's online starting interesting conversations (laughs) all the time. But um, Thank you so much for joining us, Lee. As you can tell, I mean, I I could talk about this forever. Yeah. Um, No, I mean, it's it's really brilliant to have someone who is, you know, and your background in, in anthropology is so so perfect for having this conversation because it's uh, it helps to bring out that scientific viewpoint, but obviously from a very different perspective than uh, than mine. So so thanks for a stimulating conversation. Yeah, 100%. Well, from all of the peeps here at Little Bird Marketing, happy uh, System 3, happy narrative research, and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.